Hey guys, welcome to Rolling for Change. This episode, it's got me thinking, and I haven't even finished editing the episode as I'm telling you this, but I just kind of realized that one of the assumptions we come to Rolling for Change with is that those of us who are on the podcast are pecking at some piece of some idea, some structure, so that we can get meaning out of that structure, and we're all under the assumption that there is a truth that we're looking for. It it just dawned on me that that we, in in the most therapeutic sense of the word, explore. We are exploring a particular topic. We come with some background information. We come with some research that we've done to try to to support our ideas and to help get us more involved in the discussion. But what we really are doing, for the most part, is we walk in with the assumption that there is an underlying truth that we can get to as a result of the three of us talking or the four of us talking or whoever's on the show at the time. And that realization just kind of, it floored me because isn't that, that, that is what we do in, in therapy in therapy situations, we sit down with the client, we both have some information, we know a little bit about ourselves, we know a little bit about our client, and between the two of us, we we have this almost Venn diagram where we're trying to create a, a relationship, a between space, in which we can explore what the actual truth is. That's a fantastic idea, and it, it, it presupposes that there is something to get at. <laughs> and I don't even know how to to explain the the thought I'm having except that it's just like it's in a sense it's it's pure direct phenomenology because it's we're not there's not an external world we're exploring in the moment. We're exploring a set of relationships and a set of information and it, it just fascinates me. Um, anyway, this, this episode you're about to listen to is all about games in media. And, and my conjecture in, in the show was, well, what is the purpose of having fictional games or real games in media? And I, I think we teased some of that out. But uh, you be the judge. Have a listen. This is our, our episode on games in media where Josue, Brian, and I talk about games in our favorite media. I mean, so let, let's geek out and, and uh, talk about some games. Here we go. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about gaming in all of its formats. I'm your host, Woody Harris, and I am joined by the very wet Josue Cardona. Whoa. Hello, friends. <laughs> Please edit that it's, out. It's raining. It's raining in Puerto Rico. Not in my house, It's raining house, in Georgia also, so uh, Brian's a little bit moist as well. Oh. Here's one. Hey, Susie, there's one for you. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I wanted to start it with a bang, so I figured. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> uh, today, guys, we're going to talk about games and media, and I, I'm a little bit 
like I don't want to give away where where my initial inspiration came from because it it's such a large group of games, but I'm going to do it anyway because I feel like we need a starting point. So I've been watching Deep Space Nine. Um, we we trying to we pulled it on again to watch with Brandon, who was convinced that Star Trek: Next Generation was just too old for him. He seemed to accept Deep Space Nine as something reasonable, um, and so we watched that once in a while. And uh, when we started watching it there, in the first season, I think uh, there is a game called Chula, and this is a game that was brought from the Gamma Quadrant. And uh, Quark uh, is like Quark had cheated these guys, and so he cheated them at a game. He cheated them at Dabo, which is you know that's the game that that sits at the center of Quark's bar in Deep Space Nine. Um, and so realizing this, they said, "Well, you need to play one of our games." And turns out one of their games is called Chula, and uh, Chula is basically you take living people and you put them in a challenging environment full of puzzles. And the people outside of that environment watch, or they don't actually watch. They don't actually know what's going on, except maybe the maybe the Wadi, who were the race that brought the game, knew what was going on. But Quark certainly didn't, until he slowly realized that members of the station have been placed in these environments, and they are the ones that are being placed at risk. So then I was thinking, well, that's that's a game. That's interesting. And then I started thinking, man, there are a lot of games in Star Trek, and that was what started this whole... This whole idea of talking about games and media and and the differences in those games and media. So, you know, there's games that are used by media that are real games that media comes and they put it in their show for some reason. And then there are games that are created for media, which are like this one, Chula and like Dabo. And God knows how many other Star Trek-based games that are now existent because Star Trek created them, but they weren't existent in the first place. So this just seemed like a really exciting topic to address, and I was sure that between the three of us we'd come up with lots of examples of games and media, and also maybe able to peel back the layers to understand why these games are in media in the first place. Hmm. Hmm. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a lot of different reasons that I've thought of why games are placed in media. But maybe if we can just go through and talk about some of our favorite games in media before we get into that, and then we can kind of delve into what's the meaning behind these games in the first place. So, Josue, you said you're so excited about this. What what are you thinking of when you think of games in media? So, I mean, in general, the idea that I'm most excited about is kind of what you're talking about with, with the Star Trek examples, which is these games were created for an episode or, or, or used yeah. repeatedly throughout a show and we've seen that in other movies and games but then people went ahead and actually made them right? they took <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever was, was there and then they made rule sets and then people can actually play them uh, people play Quidditch right? that's <laughs> like, true people like play they're, Quidditch they're Quidditch teams um, I think that's really cool but my favorite moment of a, of a game in media is from 1989's The Wizard which is uh, a, a movie where a, a young, very young Fred Savage plays this um, like a savant. He's really good at video games. Mm-hmm. And his brother and him and this girl go to a video game competition. And they're playing, like he's so good, he's going to compete, he's going to get $50,000, and they're playing these games. And then in the movie theater, you're watching this game, you're seeing Nintendo games being played on the big screen. 
And then at the end, like the the climax uh, game that is being played is Super Mario Brothers 3, which didn't exist at the time. Like, right. literally, it was, like, today you see previews, like, we, you know, before recording, we were talking about games that are going to come out in the future that were just announced. That blew my mind as a kid, which, like, there was a new Mario game. I was seeing it being played live in a movie, but it didn't exist. And then, you know, a few months later, maybe a year later, I don't remember exactly how far after I saw it, I was able to play that game. But for the time that I saw it on screen, it was like something from the future. It's like in Back to the Future when they show Jaws 19, right? It's like, wow, <laughs> will I ever actually see that movie? <laughs> Is that a real thing? <laughs> Little did I know that Mario Brothers 3 was a real thing. But that's one of my favorite moments of a, a game being in a movie, being excited about it, and then it also eventually becoming or, or being a real game in my life and then becoming one of my favorite games. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you, you mentioning that, I didn't see that movie, but you mentioning that made me think of, of another example of a similar kind of thing, which is I, it was 1980-something, uh, and uh, I went to see the movie Tron. And yes. I walk out of Tron, excited about Tron in the first place, and I look over in the arcade right there in the theater. So the movie and the video game seem to have come out at the same time. Because right there is Discs of Tron. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. go straight and I spend every bit of money that I have left for this adventure into the Discs of Tron. And and that was such a fantastic experience, being able to play Tron right after seeing Tron. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and to the same thing, at the sa- around the same time in my life, actually, there was The Last Starfighter. Oh, God, I love that movie. Yes. <laughs> and in The Last Starfighter, he's recruited to be the last Starfighter because they put a video game on Earth to teach him how to, to teach people how to fight in these Starfighters. And he turns out to be the best Starfighter and they bring him to their, their Starfight. Just, those yeah. are all 80s examples, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That I haven't even thought of since. Uh, but you brought, brought up that and that made me go, oh, okay, there's my nostalgia crypt right there. Yeah. Now, I, I bring up the uh, v- video games in this conversation are, are interesting, but I don't think that there are they are as exciting as physical board games. I mean, in, in the, fu- the future games kind of are like in between, like is Hollow Chess a, a, a video game <laughs> or, or a tabletop game? But uh, I like the idea, like in movies, it's funny because there's so much video game playing, but sometimes you're just staring at two people hitting controllers randomly, right? right. You know they're not really playing a game. It's almost insulting, yeah. you know, if you if you know video games. It, it is insulting, actually. It's not almost <laughs> insulting. Uh, but, you know, and sometimes they'll, they'll, like, quickly show a screen and... It's an it's an actual game. Very rarely is it a is it a fake game, but even if it was a fake game, like people aren't trying to go out and, and make those. It's not the same as as when you see these different types of, of tabletop games that come out in in a TV show or in a movie, and then people come together and actually create it in the real world. I think there's so many great examples of of those. So I don't I don't think I'll talk too much about video games because usually they're again disappointing <laughs> in these examples. Yeah, uh, you're kind of piquing my interest about a lot of things, and I'm I'm going to come back to it because I, I think there's 
there's uh, some good video game examples, but I think we're going to have to come back to it. Brian, what about you? What's uh, what's some games in media that you are you're chomping to talk about? Chomping. Well, um, the obligatory Monopoly reference. Um, Drink. Yep. Well, the the truth is, though, there are a couple of really good ones. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The guys are playing Monopoly, and that's when he comes up and sprays them with a hose. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember that. That's excellent. Yeah. In uh, the uh, so 2018 movie, The Qu- A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. I remember that. They're sitting around playing Monopoly. And I'm thinking, is that not the worst game to play when you're trying to be quiet? Because mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. someone's getting pissed. Well, it's better than <laughs> Jenga. There is that. <laughs> it's better than that game where you get a pie in the face. That would, that would, that's yes. Not <laughs> Ooh, or Operation. Kerplunk. Operation. Concentration. <laughs> <laughs> or no, what was the game where it pops? Perfection. Yeah. <laughs> Any of those games with the pop-o-matic. We're really old school here today. Yeah. <laughs> Remember Mousetrap? Yes. Yes. That thing made I, a lot of noise. <laughs> I never actually <laughs> played Mousetrap. We would set it up and play with it, goof around with it, but we never actually played the game. <laughs> yeah, now when I thought about it, I was like, was it a game or was it just like a, a Rube Goldberg machine in a box? I don't remember. It was a game. It was a Rube Goldberg machine turned into game. Wasn't it, it was a rolling move, right? I think it was a rolling yeah. move. And something about your roll and move would put the game together, basically, so you'd have the mousetrap. Hmm. That, was, that was fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed just... I don't think I ever played the game either. I just played with the pieces. We all needed a Rube Goldberg machine as a child. Yeah, but we didn't have the patience to actually set one up usually. True. True, unless we were okay go. Um, so, there are so many examples... Of, of games and media and the question came to me why are there these and a lot of these are fictional games and we can certainly point to all the times that that, that games were picked up by media and they were like real life games that you know we're seeing people play you know euros on screen there, there are those moments but there were also you know as Hostway said they, they created these games for the show and aside from the fact that it, it's great that that things came and, and got made by fans which is really cool what was the purpose of the game in the in the tv show or the movie or even the book that had my attention peaked even more because if you look at star trek again my my inspirational example here there were tons star trek paid homage to games throughout its career so to speak there were games on voyager there were games on deep space nine there were games in in next generation and there were games in the classic series and even now with discovery there's there's a game there so i i thought we would put our heads together and try to figure out well what is the reason that these games are put out there and i have a few ideas but i think it's something that needs exploring to kind of identify why why are we making fake games and media in the first place so in Star Trek Discovery, the there's a there's a great scene with what is that called? Three dimensional chess? Is that what it is? Uh, 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 Tri dimensional so. chess. What is it? 
Tridimensional chess. Tridimensional chess, right. So when the two characters are playing that game, they are working through some things. <laughs> and the the game seems to be a metaphor for what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's something... There's something amazing about having, I don't know, maybe if there were two more physical characters, you could have them outside playing basketball, you know? <laughs> and and there's like an emotional um, impact to like dunking in someone's face or, or you know, or like, you know, moving past them and them and them not being able to keep up while they're having a conversation. But these are two, two Vulcans who everything for them is logic. And you see that right. they're... They're speaking to each other with words and through the game. And they're trying to teach each other. Uh, they're trying to help the other person understand them through moves in the game. And I think that that scene is way more powerful with the game than without the game. Even if we don't know exactly what the rules are. Yeah. Just because of the way that, that the game is 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 playing out. So in, in that case, that was... I don't know. I thought that was amazing. And it's one of those moments where I was like, oh, I want to play that game. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene in The exist. Office that I refer to you to a lot, the the American version of The Office, uh-huh. where the HR guy is is talking to Michael or wants Michael to talk about his feelings, basically. And he just brings out a, a you know, a 52-card deck of playing cards. And they start playing. I don't know if it's Blackjack. I think they're playing. And... Michael doesn't want to talk, but the moment they start playing, he starts opening up. And in that scene, again, there's a very clear purpose for for using the game. The idea being that, you know, he's I've always re- read that scene as like, oh, he's he's more relaxed, he's focused on on something else and he's able to more easily talk about how he's feeling and and answer questions and he feels more less guarded, I think, too. Because now we're mm-hmm. in a in a shared activity, but I can't think of many games that that or many um, other examples where where that is so clear, um, like like with fictional with a, with a fictional game. Because like in the office, that's a that's a real game. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and there is there is this scene that I love in Stranger Things where they're playing D anD D at the beginning, and that experience that that you see the the boys playing together and later on in the first season you know that one of them makes a comment that like you know if this were the game like when we play D D, like he would never leave us like right we have to go save him because whenever we're in the game one of us are in trouble he always makes a sacrifice and comes and saves us so now it's our turn in the real world to to do the same for him. And oh, I love that scene so much because you can see these are these are kids, but the, the game means so much to them and their experience in the game is so meaningful and so real that it, it translates into, into real life action afterward. Well, the way they play the game teaches them one of the main values that we hold in society, which is you're always there to back up your friends. Yeah. And it's one of the ways that they that they frame the learning of that particular value. Mm-hmm. And there are some great things to be learned from role playing games. I've seen people grow 
because of the way they interacted in a in a in a role playing game. As a game master, I've taken people who've made terrible decisions in game that reflect who they are as a person. And as a game master, I was able to address their failings as a person in game in a safe space without actually being overtly saying, this is a problem you have. Right. I can address that problem within the game and then they have to deal with the, uh, the outcome. And in learning how to deal with that outcome, they learn that in their, they can sometimes learn that in their real life, maybe this would not be a good idea either. There's an episode of Community where the friends come together and create a campaign, a D&D campaign, mm-hmm. for their friend Neil because they're really yep. worried about him and they, they want him to feel empowered and feel um, like not only that he has you know the backup of his, of his friends, but that he's also um, has value, right? And, yeah. and I, I love that episode so much. Uh, do, you, do you guys know of any other examples of well, specifically role-playing games or something like a role-playing game that, that does this? Because the only two I, can, like, I know of are Stranger Things and, and Community. You mean uh, games that uh, do something to teach a value? Is that what you're No, specifically a role-playing game that is used so intentionally in the narrative. I know that um, in E.T., they're playing D&D at the very beginning of the, th- of the thing. Hmm. And it's, it's used as a way to show that his older brother excludes Elliot from certain things. Man, I don't remember that. Okay. Because he's a little kid, yeah. they exclude him from the game. Yeah. Okay. And then whenever, um, whenever Elliot finds E.T., he brings his brother into it and includes him. And that was a way of showing that in his own way, Elliot's kind of the bigger person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, Hostway, to to answer that question, I don't have any other... Obviously, D&D has played a big role uh, in TV shows like that, but I don't have any other examples like that. You know, you were talking about chess, and I can kind of see... Like if we look at film as a whole or at media as a whole, chess is often used to communicate that this is a, a battle of major proportions. You know, whether it's it's Spock versus Kirk, or it's um, Professor X versus uh, Magneto, mm-hmm. um, chess is constantly used to say these are some really high level people that you don't want to mess with. Uh, and they're they, they, and they both have equal strategies, and they're both working on a, a an equalized playing field, and they both have reasonable uh, reasonable arguments for their position for the most part. Especially like when you look at uh, Charles and Xavier. I mean uh, Charles and um, yeah, Xavier, right? Wait, no, it's Charles Xavier, and what's Magneto's name? I forgot. Eric <laughs> That's Lin- terrible. Eric, Eric. Lynchair in the movie. Eric. Yeah, so Eric Charles Lynch. and Eric. You know, they're they're playing, and the the chess game there is kind of a metaphor for the larger battle going on between the two of them. Which, you know, in chess, both your teams, both your sides, have equal powers, and I I think the the metaphor is used in that situation to say both Charles and Eric have reasonable positions, even though we may go back and say that uh, uh, Eric doesn't necessarily <laughs> handle things quite the way we want him to, but his his argument 
is valid. And so I think that the chessboard itself shows these two have valid arguments and they're both contracted to this battle of wits for life, basically. There's also um, a series of movies which eventually is turned into a web series um, that's strictly about people playing D&D and um, collectible card games and stuff like that. If you've ever heard of uh, Woody watched one of them with me, the first one, The Gamers. The Gamers, yeah. Uh, there's The Gamers Darkness Rising, which is the second one. The Gamers Hands of Fate, which is the third one. And then they eventually released a uh, web series called Humans and Households. And it's really all about a bunch of gamers and um, their interactions with each other and learning from each other, trying to become better people, and sometimes using the game to do that. Uh, the first one is just pure, pretty much pure comedy. The second and third, the, the second and third ones, they start getting into character development with some of the characters, and it's it's really fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I need to carry through on that and see the the next episode because, of course, you showed us the first episode and it, it was good. Um, but I, if you're telling me that. Uh, you know something's happening where they're they're developing the characters a little more around the story of the game. Then I'm I'm really excited about that. I just kind of realized we're we're talking about games that roll for change. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize you know, to anybody who who watches The Big Bang Theory. I know there's a lot of games there, but I've never watched the show, so uh, I can't, I can't okay. speak to any of those. Okay, I, I can address a couple of these. They sometimes play play board games to show how the different the characters of the group. Yeah, how well, also how the different characters react to the game. Um, you know, because Sheldon sometimes you know has issues with the rules, um, and others just want to play for fun, and you know, for a variety of things, they they interact through the game, kind of like we do in real life. Yeah. The way that I didn't like how they used it was also the kind of the way that um South Park handled it. They they dealt with the idea of MMOs. Mm -hmm. And in both of them the people got obsessed and started becoming slothful, slovenly, nasty people who didn't take showers, who had food all over their clothes. I I have met people like that, sure. But the vast majority of people who play MMOs aren't like that. But yeah. um, the South Park episode did that, and the one where the boys um, introduced um, Penny to the MMO, and she became so engrossed in it. I remember that one. That she just became a sloth. And oddly enough, the guys were the ones who were the more balanced in their lives about it. And the idea that the quote-unquote normal person starts engaging in a geeky... Um, pastime and becomes just this horrible person because of it. It really bothered me. Yeah, I'm angry now. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, there, there's a lot of controversy when we talk about uh, when we talk about uh, Big Bang Theory in in geek culture, and you know, there's the question of whether or not it's it's a reasonable portrayal of geek culture, and there are there are pros and cons. I think. Um, to your point, Brian, you know, I'm just going to take the devil's advocate position here. You can also look at it in the form of, well, when someone's exposed to something really enjoyable, 
that they've never been exposed to before, of course they're going to have no sense of balance about it. But it does it what what Big Bang Theory does for me is it does prove my point that games are used for different reasons in media. And in Big Bang Theory, the thing that makes it a little controversial for me at times is just the exact thing that Brian was pointing to is that sometimes games are used as a way of poking fun at geek culture rather than engaging or showing geek culture in a certain way. I mean, a lot of Big Bang is about poking fun at geek culture. Yeah. And then the question becomes, can we sit back and enjoy that poking fun as geeks watching geeks? Or do we see it as the media coming down on us? And a lot of times they use games to make it a little more critical of geek culture, I think. Yeah. I I have had episodes where I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh-huh. And I've had episodes where I'm like, okay, screw you guys. Really? Yeah, I've never I've never enjoyed an episode of Big Bang Theory. I'm, there's so many though. I'm sure there, there's some that I might, but uh, I I I do worry about just playing so casually with the idea of gaming as a disorder and things like that. And that's a that's a bigger conversation. Um, that's something that people are worried about, and that just adds to stereotypes. But I love the idea of games uh, helping with character development. Or, or just showing the audience who these people are through some sort of interactive experience between a group of people. So like that example of where you see each of the characters, you learn something about them because of the way that they each react to a game. That I love. And that we see, that I think is one of the more common examples too when, when games show up, fictional or otherwise. Yeah, I think the thing that bothered me most about that one episode was because even to the end of the even to the end of the episode she was still playing and still obsessed next episode she wasn't playing games again at all and there was no showing how she was able to balance it i guess the only way to balance playing those kinds of games and getting too obsessed is just to quit just stop playing that is the message that they seem to suggest at least for penny yeah uh, so yeah there are normals like penny and then there are geeks, and that that's kind of the dichotomy that's put together in that in that show. Um, okay, now another area where they use uh, role playing games in a okay. movie, and this one this is on the other end of the spectrum. You want to hear something critical about role playing games? Uh, the old Tom Hanks movie, Mazes and Monsters. <sighs> Have you guys ever seen that one? No, no, I purposely avoided it. Oh my god, you should watch it. It is. God awful. Um, <laughs> in this movie, um, Tom Hanks uh, goes to a new school, a new college, and he runs into some people who are playing a D&D like game. Of course, they can't call it D&D, but they're playing this role playing game. And the way they portray role playing games is kind of funny. Everybody dresses up as well as they can in costume and they show up and they light candles and they turn the lights down and they get all mysterious about it. I'm like, uh, how do you see your character sheets with all the candles lit? I mean, <laughs> how do you not burn your character? How sheets? Do you burn your character sheets. Um, this is nothing like <laughs> how I play role-playing games. This is okay, but I'll go with it. All right. They're trying to set an atmosphere. It turns out they don't really address it at the very beginning, but it turns out that Tom Hanks character has, mental and emotional issues and eventually he starts getting so into character that 
reality and fiction start blurring. And it happens about the time they decide to do this monumental thing. They say, let's do it in real life. Let's go down into the caves near this place. And I'll set up, you know, I, as the game master, will set up basically a LARP. And they made it real. And the minute they made it real, where they went down and played as characters with, you know, live action characters, that's when Tom Hanks started really getting involved to, to the point where it was destructive. And he eventually decides that he has to go on this quest to save this fictional character who is basically his brother who died. And one of the things he has to do is he has to, uh, he has to fly to him or something. He goes up on top of a building and almost jumps off because he's so involved in the story that he thinks that he's really this guy and they have to save him and he's crying. And, you know, at the end, none of them are playing the game anymore. They've given it up because it's so destructive. Like, wow, that's, um, that's very eighties of you. <laughs> when, when did that come out? Oh my God. Mazes and monsters. When did that? It was eighties probably, yeah, right? It was the eighties. And which and organization so, paid for the development of that movie? <laughs> What's See, that? 1982. 1982. So that, that is at the height of the the sort of like uh, community uh, backlash against Dungeons and Dragons as some kind right. of demonic thing. So uh, I, I'm I'm sad that it exists. That that you know we just jumped into it and said, yeah, we're going to accept this as a Hollywood film. But of course, at the time. Um, that was that was news at the time. That was what people were thinking, especially people who hadn't played the game or, or decided that you know anything related to uh, evil characters must automatically be evil. Yeah, and it oddly enough, it was the same year that Bosom Buddies went off the air. The one where they're cosplaying as women to try to infiltrate a all female hotel. <laughs> cosplaying. <laughs> <laughs> They did infiltrate the whole the whole show was about that. And looking back on it, I'm kind of like, that's a really uncomfortable premise. These women go to this place so that they can just avoid men and live their lives without having to, you know, worry about the dangers that come with being around men sometimes and living near men. And these two guys just sneak in and become women to try to infiltrate them so they can get a cheaper place to live. So <laughs> this is going to become our platform for for talking about media that we have problems with. <laughs> well, it, basically, it was just a lead into this is yeah. what he, this is the first thing he did after Bosom Buddies. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you know, going back to the sort of logic side of things, and, and back to Star Trek again, because again, this is my primary example. Um, Calto is a Vulcan game of logic. And this is... Uh, he's, Tuvok says, this is Kalto is to chess as chess is to tic-tac-toe. Um, and it, its goal is to balance the chaos that's surrounding you. And, and so this is another example of one of those games where it's like it's being put on screen in order to kind of indicate the high level at which Vulcans operate. You know, they're way above most of us in there ability to do things humans don't play this game right it's calto <laughs> is just for vulcans and if a human could play that game it would say something about that human 
Yes, yes, by virtue of that, yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that kind of framing, you know, in uh, of a game in a narrative. And and more about Star Trek, one last one, because I have to bring it up, is Fisbin. Do you guys know this one, Fisbin? I've heard the name. Yeah. Fisbin was in the, the classic Star Trek series, um, and Kirk uses this game. He, they're, they're taken prisoner, and Kirk creates a game on the spot in which he can basically um, kind of flummox the people who are trying to keep watch on them. Um, so he comes up with a ridiculous set of rules. Um, you know, things like, uh, uh, you know, each player gets six cards, except for the player on the deal's right gets seven. Simultaneously, the first and second card are turned up, except on Tuesdays when the first card is alone turned up. And <laughs> he just kept coming up with more and more rules. This was actually made into a game that you can find on uh, on Board Game Geek, um, but it just goes. He's just using the game as a ruse to get these guys so confused that they can't make sense of things and eventually take them off their guard. Um, so by just throwing all this different possibilities at them, uh, he manages to get them both engaged and uh, completely lost from their their job of of uh, taking care of him keeping them safe, keeping them separate from everybody else, keeping them under lock and key, whatever word I'm trying to say. Yeah. So that that one's kind of, that, that one's just cool to me. And that that's probably like in, I mean, original series is where we start a lot of these games in media because you've got three-dimensional chess, you've got Fizbin, and you've got lots of things along those lines. A couple other games that, are not real games technically or weren't before the show came out was um Dejaric. You ever hear of that one? No. What's uh, that? It's the 3D hologram game that was played in the original Star Wars movie. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. so Hollow yeah. Chess. Yeah. yeah. The only reason for that thing's for that game's existence is to kind of or there are two reasons to show people to get people involved with the idea that there are games in this world too. It's just yeah. like our world, except high tech. Yeah. And also to um, let Chewbacca have his first moment to shine. Let the <laughs> Wookiee win. Let it's the Wookiee win. Let the Wookiee win. Um, the other game is, um, there was a game that was briefly shown in, in Firefly called Tall Card. And the express purpose of that game, it's it's a basically kind of a poker-like game. Um but Simon, uh, who was supposed to be the smartest person in the room, smart, rich kid. Right. Um, B- Shepard Book, who we kind of suspected was actually the smartest person in the room. And, <laughs> and Jane, who was obviously the dumbest person in the room, are all <laughs> sitting around playing this game. And Simon gets brought down a peg because... Uh, Simon Pegg. Uh, I know. I was about to make the joke. <laughs> Simon gets brought down a peg because he gets his butt stomped at the game. And th- that's really all they did it for was to basically humorously knock Simon down a couple notches. To make him realize that just because you're a smart rich kid doesn't mean you're the best at everything. Maybe you should um, not feel so high and mighty sometimes. Yeah, poker is often used for that kind of, uh, you know, you said talk hard was a form of uh, poker. Poker is often used in that kind of format where it's used as a means of showing 
that there are some things you just don't know. Yeah. To yeah. show the characters that. There's um like the hollow chess example is one of those where uh, I was saying earlier that like is it a tabletop game or is it a video game? You know? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're at the intersection. Yeah, and I think I think it serves that purpose of in the future we play with holograms. You know, we don't just have <laughs> yeah. you know game boxes lying around. That's, that's primitive. <laughs> oh, and incidentally, the game Tall Card actually was released, I believe, in 2015. Okay. So there's actually they actually came up with rules and put out a game. So so I like a lot of those games that seem like poker, but they're future alien poker. Yeah. So like um, in Battlestar Galactica, right? They're always playing this game. Oh yeah, uh, what is that game? I don't know, but it's also like it's like these big pieces, right? I think well, I don't remember if that's what they were betting or if they were these big pieces. And I was just watching Agents of Shield, and they go to this casino, and it's obviously just a casino, but the games are future alien versions of the same games and uh they go like to a high stakes table and well first they like do like one that's like roulette but it's just digital and then alien glyphs and stuff but it, it looks like like just roulette and then they go and they're playing what seems like a poker game and characters are bluffing and making bets and it's it's almost the same and then they go to this other room where it's the high stakes room and they're playing uh, it's like a high stakes blackjack and then they mention the rules and it's like just kind of random rules and then someone says whatever you do don't get a 14 the guy's like a 14 what does a 14 do and then someone gets a 14 and gets an arrow through the chest it's like I don't know that's <laughs> they just changed the rules a little bit but it's obviously blackjack <laughs> I like stuff like that it's like it's familiar enough that they don't have to explain it and it's different enough that it's fun. You know, like, I, I, I really like that, too. And, I don't know, casinos are something that do show up in in, in movies a lot. Yeah. Um, the Battlestar Galactica game is Pyramid. Mm. That's the card game right. they played. It's octagonal cards that they're playing, and they, it's called Pyramid. But there's a game called Triad on one of the lists that we looked at. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe there's more than one. Maybe so, yeah. I... I, I I, you know, part of the part of before the thing that kind of held me back from doing this podcast was I felt like I need to do lots of research. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it, it'd be impossible to catch all these games um, to to kind of find them. Well, it's one that I forgot. Like when Brian, you mentioned one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't remember that they were playing anything at the beginning of that game. That's not the thing I remembered. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's yeah. So I mean, I think the and as we're talking, I'm remembering more and more instances like i came um, i came sort of prepared i think for this episode and i'm like oh yeah i just watched shield yesterday where the whole episode happened in the casino <laughs> i saw yeah. multiple examples of what we're talking about <laughs> well th- there are i mean at the intersect there, there's an intersection of of board games where it splits off where we have tv and movie vi- uh, board games and video games there are some original games designed around TV and movies like uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, and what's that Star Wars game we play with? Asc- Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek Ascendancy. Ascendancy? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the one where you play a faction uh, in the yeah. Federation or against the Federation. You're talking yeah, about licensed games. Yeah, licensed yeah. games. Um, but these games are original games that are designed around that theme. Inspired by the, the media. 
Right. Yeah. And then there are ones that have a skin thrown over them that use existing rules, like um, the legendary games, legendary Big Trouble in Little China. Um, legendary legend- Alien. Legendary Encounters Alien, Legendary Encounters Predator. Uh, and they take these games and they skin them. And there are some better than others. Like the legendary games are very thematic. You get yes. you get the feeling that you're you know is playing the exact same game, but they give it a different, slightly different spin, a slightly different thing, a slightly different way of playing the game, that feels very thematic. Then there are the Monopoly skins. Yeah, which which oh. I think this is why oh, Monopoly drink. is such a uh, such a good seller. <laughs> I think it's because of of these reskins. Like some people have ten versions of Monopoly at their home because they wanted the I don't know the the local team version and the the Nintendo yeah. version and yeah, the Star the Wars Star version. Trek version. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Star Wars version. You know, I have the Star Wars version and there's nothing that pisses me off more than putting that I mean I don't I don't want to play the game anymore, but when I had it, <laughs> when I when I played the game, you put it on the table and it's all Star Wars except for the jail and free parking <laughs> and go <laughs> and go to jail. Why? What possible reason could you have for leaving that in there? <laughs> Sorry, just my my moment to bitch about uh, Monopoly drink again. <laughs> um, like I really want the Doctor Who version, but I think it uh, I'll just be just as disappointed. And it's still Monopoly. It's still just Monopoly just with different Monopoly. names thrown on it. Yep. However, the Doctor Who um, version of Yahtzee. It's, I have it's, that one. It's probably is probably I haven't actually bought it, but it's probably the exact same game. But the it big sell the big selling point is it comes in a Dalek contain Dalek shaped container. Oh, mine yeah. mine comes in a TARDIS container. That's why I bought Ooh. it. Oh, yeah. okay. I've, I've, I've seen both versions. It's like a perfect size. It's like it's not as big as the cookie jar. It's not as small as some of the other ones. It's like perfect size, and it's hollow, so you can put stuff inside. And now I want both versions of Doctor Who Monop. I bought Doctor Who um, Yahtzee because I want, I want a Dalek TARDIS one. and I want a Dalek. <laughs> Are there games in Doctor Who? I can't remember. Oh, um, so let me see. And the other one that I was thinking of: Are there games in Lord of the Rings? I couldn't think of any. Um, but sh- I imagine they're there. I'm I mean, sure the Hobbits. And the reason that I, well, I mean, there's that game of riddles between, I mean, you can call that a game sort of between Bilbo and uh, Gollum. But, you know, one of the things that these medias do a little bit for us, especially if we're watching a futuristic show, they might put a game in in order to normalize gameplay or to normalize the setting. So, yes, we're in the future. Yes, we've got all these high-tech gadgets, but we still play games. Um, and then, you know, if they show up in something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where uh, Buffy is playing uh, Life with Don, it really is just to make their setting more normalized in the sense that, yeah, this is this, this is similar to what goes on in our normal lives. Yeah. And, and then that way the extraordinary that happens in Buffy is that much more extraordinary because it has a more realistic feeling like it could happen to you. Like games almost become like the shadows that Miyazaki puts on water when he flies a plane over water because they normalize the environment and make it seem that much more real. And so when something incredible happens, it's much more impacting to the audience, I think. Someone just saw a Miyazaki movie. Uh, Yes. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes 
can make a character more relatable and a world more relatable. I think I think that's an excellent point. I mean, as as I think very few sci-fi is able to create a world that is so foreign. Like they're still grounded in the same rules, you know. It's like there's there's gravity. People look like humans. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of things. But even even uh, I guess that stuff is just to to make it understandable. But I think the games can definitely make things relatable. Yeah, you have to have an entry window. If I get to a piece of science fiction where they try to be so alien that it's completely separated from me and there's no entryway for me to ground myself in, I'm most likely to put that book down or media down and not continue to pay attention to it. Hmm. For me, I need a little bit of the familial in order to feel that I can I can ground myself. I, I need a I need a platform to stand on and look at the world from this perspective, but I, I still need the platform that I'm used to standing on. Yeah, I think I think most people are that way. Well and I think that's why games and, and some of these other things show up in media is to kind of give us that, that handhold that we might need to to uh, hang over this particular new environment that we're facing. But I assume that it's also alienating to some people because People who don't like to play, people who, I mean, you know, you're talking about in the 80s how people how people hated D and D. Today, 2019, people are very uh, like it's more popular than it's ever been. But still, like if you're if you're playing, if you have certain characters playing D and D, I think that could be off putting to some people. Still, that's probably true, and it may be generational because I I don't know. I I I'd like to see the research. I don't know if if. Uh, that hatred of of D and D is more generational. Like if you go to my parents, I'm sure they would still say that they think something is wrong with that. And someone in our age group maybe is more likely to say, "No, there's nothing wrong with that." Yeah, we kind of normalized it in our media. Obviously, it's still yeah, also it, like the nerdiest thing you can do, right? Which, and which I think is polarizing in that way. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? If it's changed from this is Satan's game, and if you play it, you're going straight to hell. To, if you play that, you're going to look like a nerd. I, I'd rather take the look like a nerd one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, I'd, be, I'd be kind of against any media that sort of, at this point, shows games in that sort of negative light in such a way as to to call to question whether or not games are important or not. I mean, you, the history of film is full of games. Uh, you, you can, Billiards movies, gambling movies... In every James Bond movie, there's a game somewhere, um, whether he's playing uh, backgammon or baccarat, or or even in uh, the uh, the very hated Never Say Never Again, he's playing that video game with with uh, Largo, in which they're both trying for global domination, and you either bet money or you take the electric shock. I think that that's just a neat game, um, even though it was done very badly in the movie. I think. Um, gambling is everywhere. I mean, we seem to accept gambling in media much better than we accept something like Settlers of Catan. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, in <laughs> the first point, at the very beginning of the first Marvel movie, Iron Man, the, our introduction to Tony Stark is him playing craps, and it's there just to show how he's supposed to be there to accept this award, 
And not only is he not not only is he not there, he's in the same place where they're giving the award. And he's playing he's play- games. <laughs> and not only is he playing a game, but he's blowing money. He doesn't care if he wins or loses. He's just got this hot chick blowing on his dice, and he's just like, I'm just playing the game for fun. I just blew thousands of dollars and couldn't give a crap. And it's to show it, that game is there to show how superficial he is, to yeah. give him a place yeah. to build. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And so, so maybe sometimes it's used for that purpose is to show people as superficial. I think casinos in general are always portrayed negatively, right? I don't I can't think of a No, not mm. in the um no, not in the uh, Bond movies. The Bond no. movies he plays those games to show how smart he is how and how skilled he, is, he how, how big, skilled yeah. he is. Yeah. But, but but he's there because that's like where the criminals are right oh that's a good point that's a good point he goes in there because he's he's consorting with the criminals and he does so by playing their game against them and winning yeah like m is foreshadow to the entire episode yeah like m isn't (laughs) at at the casino just hanging out and then they have a really important conversation and cues over at the craps table and they're talking about the new tech that they're doing no like he's he's (laughs) he's there because the bad guys are there and in movies like um tombstone Gambling games are used to show that the good guys and the bad guys react differently to games. Oh, that's a good point. It's to say, you know, the good guys will typically win because they're good guys and they're smarter than the bad guys. And the bad guys are always poor sports and they'll shoot you in the face if they if they think you're winning, because obviously if you're winning against them, you're cheating. I, I love that moment when Wyatt walks in and the guy's sitting there cheating and he what does he say pull that smoke wagon out (laughs) (laughs) that is such a great movie i'm sorry that's an easy one for me to get caught by um what about games with uh global impact like the hunger games is literally about a game of uh, that is televised for everyone to see and has political ramifications um in war games there's a game that is being played there in global uh, nuclear uh what is it i forgot the name Uh, thermonuclear global global thermonuclear war thank you (laughs) i think i think don't hold me to that and tic-tac-toe and the fascinating (laughs) thing about that is to show that tic-tac they compare tic-tac-toe to this thermonuclear war as being unwinnable and they use this small game the micro game to show how fruitless the macro game is yeah 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 that's right it was tic-tac-toe that he had to play bunches of times to to show that you couldn't win exposition through games Mm -hmm. yeah yeah ready player one has the oasis and then but the oasis is I don't really consider it a game, even though they call it's a it a virtual game. world, but it yeah. has games yeah. inside of it. Yeah. 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 And in fact, if you've read the book, World of Warcraft, every other game you could possibly imagine has its own world. There's a world of yeah. World yeah. of Warcraft where you can actually go and play open world and in the yeah. movie they show the Minecraft world at the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Um other games that are similar to that, uh remember the running man? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- Man, these, th- th- these things where the, uh, Hunger Games and Running Man 
are used specifically to show how games can be used to whitewash horrible, horrible things that are going on. Because if it's a game, yeah, it's not point. so bad. It's the reason why in Roman times they could have the gladiators out because it was a game. It's a it was sport, just, yeah. It was just entertainment. Yeah, watching get people get mauled by by lions. It's a uh... woo, great fun. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And pod races, for that matter. Oh, man, pod racing. Yeah. I, I put that in the, the sport category more than... It is more in the sport the category. But, uh... Putting it on the flip side, there's a role-playing game called X-Crawl that a friend of mine wrote and another friend produced that um, basically it it it's a D&D world set in the future where all the different, you know, tropes of D&D are played out. There are no more dungeons left to explore. There are no more. There are world governments set up and everything's pretty much copacetic. There's a combination of technology and magic in, in play, but people are living normal lives, but there's still magic. There are still people who use magic. There are still people who have skills of rogues and stuff like that. And this role-playing game gets brought up, gets created specifically so people can relive the past days of adventure. And some people have decided to start LARPing it, which hmm. is illegal because you're not supposed to use magic in a LARP like that because it could be destructive. These guys are playing a LARP and a ghoul, a, a group of ghouls start attacking this, this person and they decide we're going to use our abilities as adventurers to save this person. And they get arrested, but it becomes such a grassroots element of people saying that this was fantastic. They're heroes. You can't do that. That the government decides they've got these, they got their own problems going on and to distract people. They're just going to have a new death sport called X crawl that is televised. And these people called dungeon judges set up, um, death, uh, basically death dungeons. And the, the, the tagline is if you die, you die. And people join these things on <laughs> largely on purpose and sometimes because they're criminals who want to get their sentences reduced and they can make wild amounts of, of money and prizes from playing this game if you survive. <laughs> I'm so confused. This is all the setup for a, for a game? For a role-playing game, yes. Okay. Okay. It's it's the world that the role playing game is set is set in. Gotcha. Okay. And it's a fun game, as long as you can get around the idea that you're playing these events, and the okay. actual character development typically happens outside the event where there's not a lot of combat. Okay. And, and huh. so it's kind of similar to Running Man, and it's similar to Hunger Games in that yeah. way. Except most of the people there are there voluntarily. True. Okay. Some are not. Some are forced to be in it because they're criminals. But most people are there because they just they want to make some extra money and they're poor and they have nothing better. They have no better prospects. So they say, let's make some quick and easy money. I got skills. Let's try the skills. It's kind of like American Gladiator meets Running Man. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a, a category that we haven't really addressed, and that is games that become movies. Yes. And and there's certainly some bad examples because we can look at a, a movie like Battleship. That was a thing, people. That was a real thing that happened to us in this reality. I've, Someone I've, made a movie about the game 
battleship. Okay, I've never seen it, but the trailers always look pretty cool to me. Uh, I would. I haven't. I seen think it they yet, looked though. cool to me, but I just couldn't like I couldn't engage it because I was like, no, <laughs> you can't you can't make a movie based on B five. <laughs> You sank my battleship. It just can't. I hope that happens at the end of the movie. If that doesn't happen at the end of the movie, the movie's not worth watching. I hope it opens that way. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, no, I I, I want to see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, actually. Uh, but there is um, there is a game that's... Com- uh, not a game. There's a game that has been out for a little bit now that Amazon is making into a TV show called Tales from the Loop. Have you guys heard about this one? Huh. No. Nope. No. No. Tales from the Loop is a fictional setting in the 80s. So we've got kind of a uh, a kids on bikes kind of um, setting going on. And basically it's the tagline is something like role-playing in the 80s that never was. Um, it's based on a role-playing game which is done uh, as a as an inspiration from Simon Stalinhag. Stalinhag? I can't pronounce his name. Uh, he does artwork of this kind of weird, kind of alternate future, dystopian kind of future thing, but it's set in the 80s. Uh, kind of similar to the way the Scythe is set with its own own alternative future, and, and it's a little bit of steampunk and, and weird stuff going on. Um, in, in this case, it's an alternate history, and I guess because of the popularity of Stranger Things, they've decided, well, we can probably do something like this for TV, and so now they've made it, it's not out yet, but they're working on making it into a a uh, full series on Amazon Prime. Hmm. So that that's a really exciting one that's coming out, and you know, so you can see that games are having impact on media that way as well. You know, whether it's battles uh, battleship or or that, and and there's also a Settlers of Catan movie being made. That's uh, hmm. I, that I can't even. I can't even speak to whether or not that's going to be any good or not, but um, it has potential more so than something like Connect Four. <laughs> okay, I will tell you. Going back to Battleship, here's where it went off the rails. They called it Battleship and said it was based on the game, but it's about a future time when, whenever we discover there's a habitable planet and they try to com- you know contact them, contact the life there. Already, you can see this has nothing to do with the really. Game it's Battleship. science fiction. Yes, it's very sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so the, they they go to Hawaii to the to um to the uh, you know they retreat to Hawaii once the aliens decide to come here and you know lay waste, and they their their ship their navy is dis- their navy is like attacked, and they decide to go to Pearl Harbor because of course they do. It's very thim- It's very you know. Hua, they go to, <laughs> yeah, they go there and they get the de- a decommissioned World War II battleship with the help of um, some retired veterans who are preserving it, and they take this battleship out and basically attack the attack the aliens back in. Ooh, they win. Okay, guys, this has nothing to do with the board game Battleship. Battleship has nothing to do with aliens. It's not a science fiction game. It's a two. Uh, I don't want to see a board game based on Battleship. I mean, a movie. Um, I mean, a movie based on Battleship, unless it's like maybe a World War II style game. Uh, I mean, ba- a movie. Yeah, I they prefer could call the sci-fi Battleship. version. <laughs> the sci-fi version is fantastic, but don't say it's based on the board game because it's not. It sounds like it could have been a really fun movie, 
But what turned people off is they went in expecting one thing and they got another. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think. So there's so many video games that have been made into movies and TV shows and that, that continues to happen and will continue to happen. But I can't think of any other. Hmm. Like, I think that was a Hasbro uh, property, right? Battleship. Yeah. 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 And like they've literally been making G.I. Joe and Transformers movies for the last 10 years and making money. So they started uh, licensing out other ideas, too. But I can't think of any other games, like board games that were made into movies. Clue. Oh, Clue. right. Clue right, is right, such right. a fantastic that, movie. That, was, that a is a one. perfect port over to movie. In fact, one. I think the movie's better than the game. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> the reason why it didn't do well in theaters was because they created a controversy by trying to do something new. In the theaters, they released three different endings. Three different versions, yep. So you had to go to the movies three times and hope that you got to see the, a different ending. And That's it blew so cool. up in their faces. <laughs> now, for the DVD release, they had all three endings, which made it kind of a, a cult hit because people got to see all the three endings at once. And if they'd done that in the movie, that would have probably exploded. It would have blown up because it has all the best comedians, comedy yeah. actors of that time period. Yeah. And some Did of them it not do the, well? No. People went to see it at first and then they found out there were three different endings and people just stopped going to it cuz they said that's huh. that's bullshit. That's so weird. I I would have thought that... I was so excited by the fact that it had three different endings. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, the three different endings are great. But if you only get one of them when you go see the movie. I but... saw the movie in the theater and I only got one of them. <laughs> I know, but right. I, I don't know. And that's it fantastic like... until you find out someone else tells you a different ending. You're like, I didn't. That, no, that's not the one I saw. You mean I have to go back to see the other ending? That sounds like the perfect <laughs> trap to get people to go again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that. It's it's weird that that would be the reason why it didn't um, work out. Yeah. Interesting. To people like us, that sounds like the perfect thing. To yeah. the other ninety percent of people, it's a waste of money. Hmm. Hmm. Come on, how many times have we each seen Endgame? Only three. So far. <sighs> Only <Right>. one. Right. <laughs> three. Three times so far. And it has the same ending every time. <laughs> but if it had different endings, I would have seen it nine times. I, yes, I would have. Exactly. <laughs> because because that's who we are. Um, but the thing that made that fantastic was the a clue was that they basically stuck to the story. They introduced a couple of new characters. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you can't go around just killing Mr. Body and trying to figure that out. You had to up the stakes somehow, so they start killing everybody in the place, except our core characters. Yeah. And they kind of pointed out how absurd some of the things in the game actually were, but the entire movie was based on that framework of the game. It was something everybody could connect with. Everybody understood. It was a fantastic movie. I, it, that was a good I, example. It's 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 definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Um, another movie based around the idea of a game is Searching for Bobby Fischer. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about the conflict between the love of a game versus an obsession with a game. Yeah, but I mean, that's still that's still. Like the story of a person, um, right? Hmm. 
Then there are the documentaries like Word Wars that talk about um, uh, Scrabble. Scrabble. Yeah, and, that seemed um, like a Scrabble thing. Yeah, there was um, called, um, I think, Under the Boardwalk that talks about the history of Monopoly and the Monopoly World Championships, which I thought was actually, considering the fact I don't like Monopoly, was just fantastic. It was a great documentary. There was a plan to make a movie for Monopoly, but I don't know if it's gone through. I'm sure there's always a plan to like make a Like a fictional movie, yeah. movie for, for yeah. Not Monopoly. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Another one that was not a game before the movie, but it was based around the concept of a game. Jumanji. Yes, I was thinking Jumanji and, and Zathura, and I can't decide. I don't know. Did one come before the other? Jumanji came first. Zathura was the um, attempt no, I to mean, cash uh, in on it. <laughs> game versus movie. Did one come before the other? I th- did the Well, the book came mm, first, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm, there was a board game until after the movie, right? Yeah, but yeah, did, probably but so. I, I think Zathura came out at the same time as the movie. Jumanji came out after the movie was a hit. Mm, so, I no, I that. no, I do know that because I remember okay. whenever they were releasing uh, Zathura, they said, "And go see the you know go get the game," and they came out at the same time because they were trying to they they saw okay. that because Jumanji was such a hit. They made a board game, and they thought they could catch lightning a model twice was a, was a thorough. Oh, I thought you were saying book versus movie, because book came out in 1981. No, no, no. I was saying the game for Jumanji came out after the Got movie okay. was a hit. And Zathura, they released the movie and the game at the same time. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, there are so many examples of oh, there's a Ouija all three movie. of these things. There's a Ouija you know? movie. That's not really a game. There's a Ouija movie? Yeah. Yes. It's like a horror film. Well, it's got to be a horror film, of yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather it be a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have Operation the movie? I'll, I'll take that, too. <laughs> you know, oh, just... oh, 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 here's another one. Um, you guys ever hear about the uh, the old Steve Jackson game, Killer? No. It's kind of a LARP. I, I used to own it, and we played it a couple times. It was fantastic, which you can't play that in modern day. The, you would get in a lot of trouble. But... There's a game master who keeps track of everything, and it's played real world. It's played out in the world. Each person submits their name. The game master then randomly draws people and hands them their target. It's the other people who are playing the game. You don't know who's out to get you. All you know is who your target is. And the idea is it's a game of assassination. You have to go kill that person, and once you kill that person, they give you their slip of paper, and you have a new target. And the last person standing wins. And you can do a variety of things to kill people. Um, I had one person put um, a bouncy ball underneath someone's door handle, and whenever they opened it, the bouncy ball dropped out, and it had a little note tape to it. It said, boom, and they blew up. Um, another person um, left in their backpack a silly putty egg and they opened it up and the silly putty had a note attached to it said, this is C4 boom. Ah. And other people would, you know, Hey, you, you want to have a Pepsi and they give it to him. They say, Oh, by the way, that has contact poison in it. You're dead. Boom. Um, and of course people can come up with a dart gun and shoot you and say, you're dead. Um, people were always watching out for that. So people tried to be as subtle as they could. There was a movie called tag the assassination game. Um, where basically the same game is being played, but one person starts taking it a little too seriously. Um, 
And that's, yeah, that game was really big when in the eighties and nineties. And then once, um, people started getting shot because cops thought that their toy guns were real guns. People decided probably not a great game to play anymore. And it fell off the radar. The story went in a completely different direction than I expected it to. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of fun in its time though. (laughs) So I I think that I've left you speechless. (laughs) I think we've run out of things to say. (laughs) (laughs) Cause we could, we can easily go through and, and find more and more examples um, but but I think the thing is that we've come up with some some clear understanding as to why I won't say clear understanding because there's still probably a lot of me- games and media uh, and and game connections to media that we haven't really outlined. But you know the, the biggest ones I've seen is games are used as a means of sort of um, enhancing the the hero or downgrading the villain. Games are used as a means of normalizing the environment in the movie or TV show or book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Games are used as a means of basically stating one person is bigger, better, smarter, brainier than the other person or more slick or whatever it might be. Um, and then games are used as a derogatory towards geek culture. Well, I think we also covered that they're used for uh, sometimes for exposition they're sometimes used for character development. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, and obviously some, off. and some of them are used for like, literally as a setting. Like, <laughs> hmm, what should we... or, or just kind of shine a light on character attributes and flaws. Um, you guys ever yeah. watched the Carol Burnett show? Absolutely. They had so many games in that show. They played Sorry. They played Password. They played Monopoly. And I think during one of the blooper reels, they were trying to play something like Trivial Pursuit or something. And every time, it was almost exclusively about how Eunice is a poor sport. She's a poor winner. She rubs it in people's faces whenever she does something that helps her win. And she pitches a hissy fit when someone does something that makes her lose. Oh, the sitcom Blackish has used a couple games um, similarly to yeah. not only show uh, like how different characters react in these situations. They always use them. They also use them to like, teach lessons about uh, you know like current events and things like that. Yeah, I think a lot yeah, of sitcoms have done that uh, over the years. There's some okay. better than others. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we and our listeners could if we so chose <laughs> could easily like just start looking at the world through the eyes of when does a game show up in a TV show or a movie or a book and uh kind of uh creating kind of a an uh, an understanding or a catalog of of all these uh moments in the ways that games and and media impact one another. Yeah. I think that most of the time it's not meaningful, but sometimes like like in the Carol Burnett example, like in like in um Blackish, the community episodes on D and D, like there's some sometimes that it's like it's used for storytelling and it's actually meaningful. Yeah. Lots of times it's it's not. But I'm 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 glad that you you made that list earlier and I think they do serve a purpose. Um 
sometimes not great, but <laughs> they usually try to serve it's a purpose. True. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's honestly just used to try to um, market the idea that board games are normal. Like uh, in uh, South Park, if you watch, yeah. they'll have just board games on shelves. They had Mice and Mystic on a shelf once. They've had all kinds of games. And they try – a lot of these TV shows like um, – Oh God! Uh, Royal Tenenbaums—they had an entire cabinet full of games. Okay, but it's kind of to introduce this idea that look, everybody has these games, and it's usually because um, the director, um, the creator of the show, or whatever, likes board games and wants to introduce them to a wider audience, not by playing them, but just by having them in the background, showing that this is part of the setting. This is part of people's lives. Ticket to Rise, just sitting on a shelf. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've tried true. to limit my examples to board games and tabletop games and not include too many video games or just sports mm -hmm. in general. But there's also, I think, something that shows up a lot in games just to show... Uh, social interaction and, and friendships and, and relationships are the, the party games. Yes. Right? There's like, oh, there's mm -hmm. game night and, you know, we're all having a drink and we're we're playing Pictionary or we're playing, um, uh, what's the one with uh, uh, charades, you know, like yeah. games like that. And those are very common. And, and they, again, it's like, oh, you're, you're getting to know these people better. You're seeing the dynamics between the relationships of this group. Yeah, there was um, that scene in When Harry Met Sally where they were playing that uh, like win, loser, draw, or Pictionary kind of game. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, that's like a, that's a that's like an easy go to I think in many 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 shows and movies because I think that usually when somebody invites me to a game night, it's mostly something like that. It's not yeah. Euro games or <laughs> or or Mario Kart. It's like. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to play charades and, and some of these other party games. Well, yeah, parlor games get much more of a um, a, a place in media yeah. than, I mean, Euros, you don't see Euros in media that often. Um, still waiting on Zulk in the movie. <laughs> so we never mentioned Cones of Dunshire. Are we going to mention it? Oh, we didn't mention Cones oh. of Dunshire. How could we not mention that? <laughs> That's an example of a, a game that didn't exist that was made from a, a show. And it was supposed to be the sequel to, to Settlers of Catan. <laughs> well, and if I remember correctly, he's, they're kind of, no, he's, he's already made the game, right? When we, when he introduces it, or is he making it up as he goes? Uh, I think he's already made the game. Right. Because his, his friends, like he invited them to, I guess his bachelor party was to play Settlers of Catan. And I guess they all found it not so interesting, maybe. And he wanted to soup it up. I may be remembering this incorrectly. This is uh, uh, Parks and Recreation for those people who don't know about it. Um, but he made this uber-complicated game <laughs> to take the place of Settlers of Catan. And I, I was looking at this, and I... Although it's it's become this phenomenon, like we all kind of look at it and think uh, that I mean I remember going to Gen Con one year and it was being played outside. Uh, it was the large size version of Cones of Dunshire, and uh, the gentleman who plays uh, Ben in Parks and Recreation was there to play it. 
Um, but uh, I don't know that it was originally like I, I don't even know like the the rating on Board Game Geek is I think a five something because it has been made <laughs> into a game now. Yeah. But it was just an overly complicated game, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe this is one of those moments, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, one of those moments that it's used as a means of poking fun at the geek community. Um, you know, that one's... I don't see it that way. First of all, because there's no laugh track, first of all. Um, uh, I think that, that, that affects my, my view of um, other shows a lot. But I think he like, he genuinely... I think the way he plays the character, he genuinely loves the game so much. Sure. You know? I mean, sure. even... Yeah, I think... I think I don't feel like it's a... It's a I think it has a lot to do with the tone of Parks and Rec, too. Like, yeah. everybody's just kind of... You know, everybody there's a caricature. Nobody there's a real person. <laughs> and And he, he's just... He's just... He just loves it so much, and he's so excited about it. I think later on, like, he's, like, trying to get it published and pitching it and stuff like that. I think... Am I am I remembering that correctly? I know it shows up multiple times during the show. It does, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't I don't see it as like poking fun. Um, I don't see it that way anyway. Well, because- not poking fun in the show because within the show's environment, if you talk about the magic circle as being the show itself, nobody in the show is treating it like. Well, I mean, people do treat him sometimes like he's just another geek kind of thing. But um, I, I was thinking more about the writers being poking fun. Yeah, no, I don't, at, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't think that the show it like is poking fun at at geeks. I think it's like showing someone who is genuinely super excited about something, and other people don't get it, right? And I think I think that's super relatable. I think I think that's one of the reasons why people probably made it, right? Because it's so because like he's so excited about it. That's my yeah. take. Yeah. Okay. I like that take better. Um, I can say that, you know, <laughs> seeing that and seeing games in Big Bang Theory, uh, both of those things, whether I'm critical of either show or not, as a gamer, they bring me more into into the discussion of what's going on in the show. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm I'm there. I'm being, I'm being uh, presented in some way on the screen, and I can relate to that, even if it's, you know, the... the the challenging ways that we sometimes show people in Big Bang Theory. I can relate to it because I'm drawn in. That's my culture. That's my people. You know, also there's an aspect of of Cones of Dunshire that shows someone actually designing a game versus something we just made up for fun. Yeah, that's true too. You know, it's like, oh, like, is that is that anything like what it's really like to make a game? Can I make a game? <laughs> he did stay up all night, I think, and make it. <laughs> Like just nonstop, just like <laughs> I think my memory of it is that he people come in and see him, and he's he's there amidst all that. Maybe it was Leslie that came in and sees him there amidst all his stuff, and he's all he's all in that frazzled state of I've been up all night and I've been doing something amazing. <laughs> I need to rewatch Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah. There was one that I wanted to mention that's like off topic from what you guys were talking about. But okay. it was a great example of character development through a game. Um, you guys ever see the movie Scrooged with Bill Murray? Yeah. 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 Remember that scene where his brother, he, he's traveling through Christmas present mm-hmm. and they've already set off the, the dichotomy that his brother's the family guy. He's the, the normal person. He's the everyman. And Frank, Bill Murray's character is the ultra corporate selfish douchebag. Yes. And 
he used to have a normal-ish family life with his brother. Um, he was actually a, his he was actually a brother to him, and then he his life kind of spurred off in the other direction. They don't really show that, um, but you get the sense of it based on how his brother reacts to him. And then Christmas Eve, the ghost of Christmas present takes him to visit his brother. And he, he and his friends at the party that he was in, that Frank was invited to, they're sitting around playing some trivia game. And they ask about um, the ship that took the, um, took the people to the island in Gilligan's Island. Yeah. And his brother could not figure out the name of it to save his life. And Frank gets to see people in a normal situation. And playing this trivia game with friends is what is advertised as normal a normal happy family life is people sitting around playing games together having fun um something that he's forsaken ages ago and then at the end of the movie to show his character development his character progression on tv he says um you were right about everything except the ss minnow the name of the ship was the ss, <laughs> SS minnow, minnow which is his coming back to saying i have re i have re captured my ability to have fun i remember that i have this trivia that i have this knowledge of pop culture and this sense of fun and i'm gonna stick it to you once just to show that i'm your big brother and i still remember how to how to have fun with you <laughs> and that sense of playfulness between him and his brother even though it's over a tv screen is one of the big character developments for him that i really really enjoyed I like That's that. an excellent example that I had not thought of. Yeah. That I just don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, this, this this discussion has made me want to go back and see so many things. If anything, has this episode made me realize it should have been four episodes, not one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's one thing you need to see about a game, and it's not specifically about the game, go back and look on YouTube for the Carol Burnett blooper, Siamese Elephants. Trust me on this. Go watch that one. It is fantastic. If you've never seen it, it's required viewing for anyone who likes funny stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like funny stuff. I want to go check it out. Just wait for the end because it's it's great. Dick Van Dyke's trying his best not to crack up. Tim Conway's messing with everybody. And Vicki Lawrence gets to get a jab in at the very end. Wait until the end of that thing. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> And they're playing a trivia game in the middle of it. It's set in the framework of a trivia game. All right, guys. Well, you're, I, I think, Jose, I think you're right. This could easily have been four episodes, but, uh, you know, we'll probably come back to something that connects to it in, in the future in our, our next uh, episodes to go. So um, it's always an open-ended ending where we could easily attach much more significance and much more meaning to what we're talking about. So, But we want to invite people that are listening to join in the discussion and bring their own examples. I mean, there's probably a thousand things we haven't thought of that sort of identify another area of connection between media and, and games that we frankly forgot about or didn't find in our, in our research for this show. So... I want to invite everybody to come and talk to us. Come through come through gamers at rollingforchange.com and email us. Come through the forum 
That's uh, network.geektherapy.com forward slash forum. Forum.geektherapy.com. <laughs> I was wrong again. <laughs> There's the wah, Discord. Wah, wah, wah. There's the Discord, which is geektherapy.com forward slash Discord. Yes. Got that one right. Yes. Uh <laughs> And so there's there's so many options for you being able to come and talk to us about things, and and uh, we want to hear from you, your examples, your ideas, um, and if anything, if you know that we're at a convention that you're at, then just come and talk to us, or play a game with us. We love those things. So, all right. So that that's our episode of of games and media, or rolling for change on screen. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for for, uh, talking to me about this, and uh, we'll do it again next time on Rolling for Change. Keep on rolling for change. (laughs) Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep those dice rolling. We need an outro, guys. We need an an actual good outro. (laughs) Keep on rolling for change. Don't roll up from or high. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listeners, if you think of a good outro for rolling for change, feel free to put it in. We need three endings, I... and then we will randomly. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. <laughs> we'll randomize them. <laughs> That's how it could have ended. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Rolling for Change. We're a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. Happy 8th birthday, Geek Therapy. To learn more about how we're celebrating this milestone, visit network.geektherapy.com. To talk about this and other episodes of Rolling for Change, you can email us at gamers at rollingforchange.com, chat with us at geektherapy.com forward slash discord, or respond to episodes at forum.geektherapy.com. Our theme music has been provided by Rocket Scientists. These guys are amazing musicians, and you can hear much more of what they do if you point your browser to bandcamp.com forward slash rocket scientists as always thanks so much for listening and keep on rolling for change